Revelation On Demand podcast, a podcast dedicated to bringing you revelation from the Bible. I'm your host, Justin D. Myers, and I sure hope you're having a wonderful day wherever I am finding you today. And I don't have any updates on the podcast. We're just cruising like usual. We're in the book of Isaiah. We're just doing pretty good. Everything's going pretty good on my end. I hope things are going well with you guys. I pray for you as my listeners regularly that you guys are blessed and not only for listening to this podcast, but in whatever you do. And I hope that the Lord is very bountiful in your lives. So, last chapter, we went over Isaiah 12, which was a very, very short chapter. It was only six verses. And it was a a poem of song and praise. So this was uh, just a little bit of a worship chapter that we went over and we went in depth as far as we could on each individual line. And we talked about how it is important to worship even in the darker times. Now today we're getting into chapter 13. Uh, hope nobody's too superstitious or stitious for that matter. Uh, I don't think numbers have powers in a way that could cause good or bad luck. But for those who do think that, uh, Let's just ignore the number today and continue on into scripture because there's a lot of good stuff here that uh, you need to get, even if you are stitious. So without further ado, let's get right into scripture. Isaiah 13, a prophecy against Babylon that Isaiah, son of Amos saw. Rise a banner on the bare hilltop, shout to them, beckon to them, to enter the gates of the nobles. I have commanded those I have prepared for battle. I have summoned my warriors to carry out my wrath, those who rejoice in my triumph. Listen, a noise on the mountains, like that of a great multitude. Listen, an uproar among the kingdoms, like the nations massing together. The Lord Almighty is mustering an army for war. They came from faraway lands, from the ends of heavens. And the Lord, the, excuse me, the Lord and the weapons of His wrath, to destroy the whole country. Whenever I see "listen" like that in Scripture, my brain always goes to the "Hey, listen" uh, meme. If you've heard that, or if you're a gamer, you know exactly where that's from. So that's just a tidbit of what ran right through my brain just this moment. Anyway, so this begins a series of prophecies directed against the nations. Now, we talk a lot about how prophecy can have full and partial fulfillment, so today is no different. We have these prophecies against the nations, and again, there is the full fulfillment, which has to do with the end times with Babylon. The great is in not like an actual nation called Babylon, but a nation state that has taken over the world is fulfilling the role of how Babylon uh, historically filled it. So it's something far in the future that would be the full fulfillment of this prophecy. But there's also this prophecy was for the kingdom Babylon at the time who was ruling over Israel, which we talked a lot about in, oh, what was that? Mm. Alliance Den. Did we go over Jacob? I feel like we did, but it wasn't Jacob. Anyways, these, this nation, these prophecies are for Babylon at the time that he's writing it. 
but also have a fuller or a further fulfillment in the end times. I remember it was Daniel, Daniel in the lion's den. That was the time when Babylon had taken over. I think it was Babylon. Uh, anyways, continue on. Uh, one day, all the reckon the all uh, one day all the world would recognize Yahweh's sovereignty. So this is again talking about how Babylon will be brought to heal uh, with Yahweh's power and this army that He raises against Him, but also in the end times. There won't be anyone who doesn't recognize. Excuse me. Don't doesn't recognize Yahweh's sovereignty. And we see this this banner noise where it's bring the banner on top of a hilltop. Uh, in these days, this was a common method of rallying troops was around banners or house crests that would tell troops where to go. And there was always this guy who was very not armed, carrying this banner around, trying to direct the troops. It was very important for troop strategy in these times before there was ways to communicate with troops directly. Uh, it helped help them get to where they were needed to go. So this is very much uh, trying to invoke military imagery that it is God rallying his troops around this point to go take down this great city Babylon. As we've talked before, God can use one nation to, as a tool to bring punishment to another. So Babylon obviously is the focus of this chapter and they are getting, they're the ones that God's forces are massing against. And of course there's also the historical Babylon that God was using yet another nation to take him down a multi-nation of the Medes and the Persians, which was the partial fulfillment of this kind of prophecy. And then the full fulfillment would also be the, all the nations of the world who still recognize Yahweh or even just peoples from those nations who recognize Yahweh gathering together against the great evil Babylon. Then we get this section called Lord, or this wording that says Lord Almighty in Hebrew. It comes about more as Yahweh of hosts, which is a, refer, a title referring to God as the leader of a heavenly army. And of course, then we have this whole country is translated English better off in Hebrew. That mean that could mean the whole earth, which has overtones to all of recreation, as we've talked multiple times about in the end times when all of creation would be uh, set through this, this cataclysm and this rebuilding of the way things God intended things to be in the first place. And it brings about this imagery of this, this final battle of Armageddon. Of course, there is some scholars who say this whole earth area or this whole worth wording could also mean the, uh, just the local or the inhabited earth, the known world as it was said at the time. So, some people try to use that to say it's only referring to the region that Babylon had control over, which is that would be the known world at the time. Uh, so, continuing on in verse 6, Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. It'll come like destruction from the Almighty. Because of this, all hands will go limp. Every heart will melt with fear. Terror will seize them. Pain and anguish will grip them. They will writhe like a woman in labor. They will look against, aghast at each other. 
their faces aflame. See, the day of the Lord is coming, a cruel day with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land desolate and destroy the sinners within it. The stars of heaven and their constellations will not show their light. The rising sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. I will punish the world for its evil, the wicked for their sins. I will put an end to the arrogance of the haughty, and I will humble the pride of the ruthless. I will make people scarcer than pure gold, more rare than gold of Ophir. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble, and the earth will shake from its place at the wrath of the Lord Almighty in the day of his burning anger. Day of the Lord wording here is often one of those things that can have multiple meanings. Uh, we like to think of it as, you know, the day, the end times, the day that the recreation uh, Armageddon begins and recreation comes about from it. I personally like to think more of that whenever I see day of the Lord, but of course it could just mean, you know, this, this day is the Lord's. Uh, in Hebrew, Isaiah is full of wordplay, so the words for destruction and almighty are close and sounding. It says here, Shad me Shaddai, which, I mean, forgive my terrible Hebrew pronunciation, but it means destruction from the almighty, whereas Shad is the word for destruction, and Shaddai is the word for... for um, Almighty, so Shad and Shaddai, it's a, it is a wordplay in Hebrew that you probably get if you understand Hebrew better than I do, but it doesn't work very well in English. It's not a wordplay, it's just destruction from the Lord Almighty. But this is typical throughout a lot of Isaiah's writing where he does this Hebrew wordplay, and I do my best to point these out whenever we come up to them because he is being quite clever in his language when he does these things. He's not, it's not an accident. It's definitely intentional when he's trying to, to bring these, these desperate ideas together through wordplay. So many other belief systems were dependent on the celestial bodies and their movements, you know, stars and planets and all that good stuff. Uh, there was a lot a, of astrology that came out of this time period because people would be looking at stars for omens and signs and wonders. And so here it says that God will blot out the heavenly light and all the lights in the sky. The stars of verse 10, the stars of heaven and their constellations will not show their light. The rising sun will be darkened and the moon will not give us life. So to all these other religions that used celestial study to, you know, kind of get ideas of how the gods were favoring them or not favoring them. If all these lights suddenly vanished and were put out, this would be very much a cataclysm in anyone else's eyes. But as people who follow God, we can, we understand that this is all just part of his power. He can just make these things wink out. And on the double meaning of that, whenever it's talking about uh, these these celestial bodies as we know them today, it's also talking about, it could be talking about, well, it is also talking about the, celest or the spiritual bodies that it refers to whenever it's talking about the stars. These, uh, as we like to call them, daemons. They can be angels or demons. Uh, they are the spiritual beings that God created before man or even 
before creation itself. And they run the laws of the universe. They are messengers and they are the forces that make the inner workings of the universe work. And, uh, so he, this could mean, you know, not only is he like physically shutting off all the lights, all these celestial lights and darkening the sun and all that. It could also mean like he is blocking this interaction that we have in this day with these daemon creatures that could be most of the time evil or sometimes, uh, you know, like a guardian angel and that idea where they're either neutral or they are you know, sent by God to help someone. So he could be cutting this off at this day too. So Isaiah cycles between a global and a national view in this. And I think that fits very well with our theory of full and partial fulfillment of prophecy, where sometimes he's talking about directly the Babylon he is currently dealing with, or he's talking about the future Babylon, the great Babylon that is mentioned in the times of Revelation where this great nation-state comes up and does very similar things to the things Babylon is, is guilty for doing in his day. So this is another place where that word for, the Hebrew word for world comes up and it can mean inhabited world or the entire world, which I think is uh, applicable to both the partial and full fulfillment of it could mean both the known world for this time when it's talking about Babylon and it could also mean the whole world for this time when it's talking about the entire globe, all evil around the world. Carrying on, it says that God will make humans more rare than gold, which today gold is not the most rare thing, but back in this time, it would have been one of the most rare materials that people had but i mean it's still a very rare material today but not like the rarest material um but anyways it's it's implying that this destruction this cataclysm whatever is going to be coming about is going to wipe out a good chunk of the population of humanity will be wiped off the face of the earth during this event it mentions the gold of Ophir, which was just a priceless rare import from an exotic unknown location in the time of this writing, which is just talking, again, making the point of how rare people will be during the aftermath of whatever this is. And we have the earth shaking and the heavens trembling and there at the end of the section we just read. And that's often how God is depicted whenever he is, a you know, coming into this world, <clears throat> the heavens shake or the earth shake and the heavens tremble because this, this super dimensional being God is coming directly into his creation, which would definitely cause you know, seismic riffles in the fabric of reality. And that's just a more uh, poetic way of it saying that because these people wouldn't have had an idea of what, you know, alternate dimensions would be or anything like that. They don't have this, this sci-fi idea of traveling between dimensions or being external to a dimension. Uh, I mean, they would have that idea thinking of God, but they don't, have this idea they're not they're not in a day with commonplace sci-fi and fantasy that 
has all this like world traveling. So this, this is very much a more poetic way of putting how God comes into the world and how just awesome and, and terrifying that would, would seem. So continuing on in verse 14, like a hunted gazelle, like a sheep without a shepherd, they will all return to their own people. They will flee to their native land. Whoever is captured will be thrust through. All who are caught will fall by the sword. Their infants will be dashed to pieces before their eyes. Their houses will be looted and their wives violated. See, I stir up against them the Medes, who do not care for silver, who have no delight in gold. Their bows will strike down the young men. They will have no mercy on infants, nor will they look with compassion on children. Babylon, the jewel of the kingdoms, the pride and glory of the Babylonians, will be overthrown by God, like Sodom and Gomorrah. She will never be inhabited or lived in through all generations. Their known nomads will pitch their tents. There are no shepherds who will rest their flocks. But desert creatures will lie there. Jackals will fill their houses. There the owls will dwell. And there the wild goats will leap about. Hyenas will inhabit their strongholds. Jackals, her luxurious place at palaces. Her time is at hand, and her days will not be prolonged. So this last piece really seems to shift back towards more of a uh, near fulfillment that's going to happen during uh, the time that Isaiah is talking about this. But I think since the area where Babylon is is still fairly inhabited, let me check that. So from what a quick search has bore out, it sounds like the area may have a few people living in it. But for the majority of what Babylon was known as the city is crumbling ruins. Uh, so I'd say that was quite fulfilled. But the full fulfillment is definitely talking about the end times when this great nation Babylon is destroyed. So we start off here with this flee to their own lands, which could either mean the destruction that will cause everyone to flee to their home country or Babylon will dissolve into a myriad of smaller kingdoms that it was before it became this great nation power. As we know, this empire, the Babylonian empire would go around and assume other cultures into it, other nations, other, you know, peoples. So this could mean that whatever is happening has destabilized the Babylonian government so much that it just breaks down into the smaller countries. It was before it started uh, accumulating power, or it just means that this destruction is so cataclysmic that people are just running away to places that they think are safe. Of course, as we know, there's nowhere safe on this earth when the apocalypse begins. And then we get the invaders will take no prisoners. Uh, normally, whenever there's war, invaders would take prisoners, anyone who would you know surrender, or the women and children especially, because these would be considered spoils of war at this time. But it's very clearly saying this is not going to happen. There will be no quarter. Even the women and children will be destroyed during this invasion. And, they, and then the, it talks about uh, the women will be uh, violated. And that is just a euphemism for rape. 
these women will be raped before they are brutally murdered. And of course, whenever war is going on, rape was definitely a method of an invading army to demoralize and to just completely beat down the people they're invading. So it was very much a tool of war. Uh, it doesn't make it any better or worse. I mean, this is one of the most horrible things on this earth, one of the most evil things, I believe. But this was definitely a tool people would use during war. And that's the way people who, you know, invaded other people thought of rape at the time. Uh, whenever it was in a civil setting, it was definitely something that was treated with more contempt. But in a wartime setting, it was often something that was overlooked, especially by an invading army once they established control over the area. So the Medes were the nation to invade Babylon, this Medo-Persian Empire, which we've talked a lot about in other other um, prophecies where it talks about the succession of, of kingdoms to come in. I think this was something we definitely covered a lot in Daniel, where it was talking about how it was Babylon, and then the Medo-Persians would come in, and then there was these other kingdoms that would come on. And it was definitely something that was prophesized before and then we see in history it carry out and they they won't value silver this means that there will be no way to pay off this invading army they're they're after something more than just treasure and gold they're there for some reason beyond that whether it is you know national pride or just a mission from god because these are they are acting as a tool for god to punish babylon for their her sins and we see that there's there's no way to stop them. Not even paying them off will get them to stop uh, destroying this this place, Babylon. And then it talks in depth about how Babylon would be left in an uninhabited ruin. And as I looked up not that long ago, it seems to still be an uninhabited ruin today. Uh, but they are talking about how there will be nothing but you know wild animals. This the civilization will be undone. The civilization will go back to a very post-human state, even though there will be ruins of what humanity had left behind there. So, and then it compares it to Sodom and Gomorrah, which as we know is the city that's, or excuse me, the cities that were destroyed wholeheartedly, like wholesale for the evil that they committed, the evils that they perpetrated, the evils that they continued to do unrepentantly. And of course, God could not put up with that anymore. And after getting the one, the one uh, innocent man or you know redeemable man out of Sodom and Gomorrah, he laid waste to these two cities. And it's of course, whenever it's brought up again in Scripture, is bringing about this imagery of if they're being called a place like Sodom and Gomorrah, then they shall suffer a similar fate like Sodom and Gomorrah. So that kind of concludes all the notes I have for today. A takeaway. We can take solace in the fact that whatever evil we may experience or see today will one day be dealt with and given true justice in a manner we couldn't possibly foresee. And this has a lot to do with, uh, you know, this idea of God's true justice and, and mercy will rain down on the earth during the recreation and those who didn't pay for their sins in the real world or get uh, 
didn't redeem themselves of their sins in the in the world that we live in now would one day get their just desserts or the mercy that they deserve if they are truly repentant when God comes around and deals with everything on the day of recreation, which is a day that I personally look forward to. Um, will I see it in my lifetime? Probably not. And just my own thinking, but even though I may not see it in my lifetime, when the time of recreation comes about, I will definitely be there for that. And I hope I know I will be on the right side. But I hope that I am at a place where I can be proud of the decisions I made in this life and actually did things to try and further God's kingdom coming into this one. So thank you for listening to the Revelation On Demand podcast. Please like, share, and subscribe wherever you catch podcasts from. Please, if you like what we're doing, share this with a friend, family member, or someone from your church. This is a completely private venture, and we receive no funding from any sources. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns, please feel free to contact me at revelationondemand at gmail.com. God bless, and see you next time.